following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Wonderful. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Acts chapter 3? Acts chapter 3, my message this morning is entitled, It's More Beautiful Inside. And uh, I'm going to read to you the story of a man that was healed at the gate called Beautiful. And this is what it says. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. So uh, in, uh, in those days, there was a, a prayer meeting in the early morning, and then there was an afternoon prayer meeting, and then there was also an evening prayer meeting. And so this was the, the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. To ask alms, in other words, to ask for charity from those who entered the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, typical preachers, but uh, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to talk to you today about the transition from going to sitting in the house to sitting at the gate to dancing in the house because there's a lot of people sitting at the gate when they ought to be dancing in the house and as beautiful as the gate is it doesn't compare with the beauty in the house and he found a beautiful gate and sat there when God had another intention in mind for him to be healed and dance in the beauty of his presence before we get there I want to talk to you about a few, just the way that sometimes I, I, I picture people and, and, uh, and, and I think it's important sometimes just to understand where, where people are at in their journey. And so, so we can basically classify people and uh, put them somewhere in the journey of, of where they're at. And so what you have are the extreme cases. So let's start off with the extreme cases the people that are far away from God. And so right at the very extreme are the God-haters. So there's, there's a group of people that are God-haters. And all over the world, there are God-haters. And you know the God-haters because they will stop you from preaching the gospel. They will stop you from telling others about how wonderful Jesus is. 
the God-haters, then, then you've got those that move to another classification. They don't necessarily hate God, but they are people that are just not interested. So they are just disinterested in anything to do with the things of God. Have you, have you met people like that? Their attitude is, you believe what you believe, but just leave me alone. And so we have a whole classification of people today that are like that, especially in Australia. So their attitude is, I don't believe in God, and, uh, but I'm happy that you do. I've got no problems with you because we live in a country where to each their own. But don't, whatever you do, tell me about God because I'm disinterested. And then you've got the third classification, which is the agnostics. And, and these people are still far away from God. But th- th- their response is, well, look, I-, I don't know if God exists. And I'm not, you know, so I- I'm not there yet. So I'm not saying that he doesn't, but I'm not saying that he does. And so because I'm not saying that he doesn't, then I'm not a bad person. But, you know, it's a sort of a two-way bet. He could, he could exist, but maybe he doesn't. And so, but I want to say that those people are also far away from God. So you've got these, these three people, the, the God-haters, the disinterested, and the agnostics. And I put all of those people far away from God. They are. They're far away from God. They're not where God wants them to be. Now, then you move into another classification of people, and these are the interested. These are the people that are interested in the things of God. How many of you know some people that are interested in the things of God? We we, we run an alpha course here regularly, and it's Tuesday night. It's still here. And this is designed for the people that are interested in the things of God. What we find is that it's much easier to share with people that are interested than people that are disinterested. And so, and so when it comes um, to those that are interested, we are wanting to help them and explain to them what the things of God are all about. Then you've got another classification, which is a bit closer to God than the interested, and these are the seekers. These are those that are actually setting out on a search to find God and to find the things of God. And I really believe that All over the world, church, there are people that the Holy Spirit is working upon, and they've become seekers. Do you know that in Iran today, God is moving powerfully in Iran. Of all the Muslim countries, I believe that Iran is the one that is getting an outpouring of the Spirit in an powerful way, and Iranians are coming to Jesus by their thousands. But not only that, because because there is such a restriction on the preaching of the gospel in Iran, there are actually people that are seeking, and the way that they seek, and this is a missionary friend of mine told me, that they're actually put on a cross, because the cross symbolizes to everyone in Iran that they're a Christian. But they're not a Christian yet. And why do they wear the cross? In the hope that some Christian will spot the cross and start talking to them about Jesus. Can you imagine that? So they're, they're seeking. Can, can, can someone tell me about Jesus? Can someone tell me about the way of life? Can someone tell me which is the direction? And they're seeking. Oh, I tell you, I, 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 
I would walk over a, a sea of glass to find a seeker to share the gospel with. Such is my passion for seekers and such is God's passion for seekers. But they're still on the outside rather than on the inside. That's where our passion is to try to bring them. And then there's the attracted. They found something and they're attracted to it. And I find that sometimes in churches all over the world, there are people there that are attracted and they love the things of God. They're attracted to the things of God, but they've not quite made the decision of stepping over the threshold. They've got a, they've got a soft spot. They're searching. And, and, and right now, I'm telling you, I, I believe that nobody would watch us on television regularly if they weren't attracted to the things of God. I don't think for one moment you'd waste your time if you weren't attracted. I don't believe for one time, for one moment you'd switch on to watch us on television if the Holy Spirit hadn't done some work in your heart where there's an attraction to the things of God. And I love those people that are attracted. But again, the message is for them that there's a line that you've got to cross over. There's a threshold that you've got to cross over. And God's love is reaching out to you right now saying, come over the threshold because you're camped at the gate, but come inside the house. It's more beautiful on the inside. I'm going to share with you how to do that today. Is anyone excited about that? So let's, let's go to the story because this is a story of a man who was attracted, a man who was a seeker, a man who was interested in the things of God. And, and, and he realized that if he camped at the gate, the gate beautiful, that he'd get some help. He looked at all places where he could get help and something drew him and he asked people and he asked friends, would you take me to the gate of the temple, the gate of God's house and plonk me there because there I can get some help. There I can get some sustenance. The man at the gate, he was lame. He was begging. He was dependent upon others for survival, but he camped at the edge of blessing. And even though the gate was beautiful, and even though everything about the gate was wonderful, and even though he got survival, and even though he got crumbs, it wasn't the fullness of the blessing of God that was destined for his life. And I want to say to you that I honestly believe right across the world, some people are living at the gate beautiful and they've been there not for a week, not for two weeks, but some people have been there for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right there at the edge of blessing, right there enjoying the little bits of blessing, enjoying the little bits of the sound of the music and the sound of the worship. They can hear it because they're at the gate. They can feel it because some of the atmosphere washes over but they're sitting at the gate eating the crumbs and missing on the banquet that's in the house. And so what you've got is that there's, I, I believe that, that at the gate there are two types of people. The, the, the people at the gate, there's, there's those that are in bondage and they know that they're in bondage. Just like this lame man was in bondage, he couldn't walk. But then there are those that might not necessarily be in bondage but they're living below maximum blessing. So they're only getting the tidbits of blessing. They're only getting the leftovers of blessing rather than the outpouring and the abundance of blessing. How many of you can see what I'm talking about? 
but, but I tell you what I feel pain for, those that are on the edge and living in bondage. Those that are on the edge, enjoying something of God's presence, but not the freedom that His presence brings. And I want to say to you that the enemy will be happy enough for you to sit there as long as you don't get the release that honestly belongs to you. And I want to say to you that there's a lot of Christians in bondage. And I encounter them all the time. They're living in bondage. And they're under the bondage of fear. Do you know that if you can't sleep at night because you're afraid, you're under bondage? Do you know that so many Christians live under condemnation? They're constantly being condemned by the enemy. Living under the condemnation, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're, you're not holy enough. You're not blessed enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. Folks, can I say to you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins? And when the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you, you don't have to live under condemnation. You don't have to live under bondage. Some people still live under guilt and shame. They carry the guilt and shame of the past. And I want to say to you that's one of the biggest bondages that the enemy wants to put people under, where they're carrying guilt and shame from stuff that's happened to the past. We've got a generation of people that have grown up under abuse. And what a shocking thing for them to carry the guilt and shame of abuse when it wasn't their fault in the first place. Someone abused them, but they carry the guilt and the shame. And and can I say, for, for, for men that have been abused, a lot of them carry the guilt and the shame and won't even tell anybody about it because they feel guilty. They feel ashamed. And it's not until they reach their 40s or 50s when they start to get to middle age where they begin to say, well, maybe I need to tell somebody about this. Maybe I need to open up about this so that I can get freedom. And they live under guilt and shame because they think nobody will believe them. And, 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 and rather than, than increase the guilt and the shame because nobody would believe them, they'd rather hide. And I want to say to you that there's freedom, there's freedom, there's release, there's, there's freedom in Jesus to overcome and help you overcome every single bondage of the past so you don't have to live at the gate just getting the tidbits of God's blessing, but you can come into the house free, set free by the power that's in the name of Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? For those of you that fall into that second category, you might not be in bondage, but you're still living below maximum blessing. I'm telling you, the the, the answer is simply 100% obedience, 100% submission to the things of God. You must trust and obey because you can't get blessing without trust and obey. What happens is this, the enemy wants to distract us from the things of God, by putting in front of us the things of this world. But what I've discovered is this, that God will never, ever take anything away from you which He will not replace with something better. When God asks you to give something up, when God asks you to give up a bad habit, when God asks you to give up a sin, when God asks you to give up a distraction, when God asks you to give up something that you think is cool, then know this, that God in His omniscience knows best, he's trying to remove something from you that will damage you. It's like a parent watching their child playing with a knife and saying, saying, child, 
What you're playing with is not a toy. What you're playing with is a destructive weapon that will hurt you. And so what the father does, the good father, rather than snatching it away, because that's what, a friend of mine did that, saw his son playing with a knife, got really, really, really agitated about it and, got, and just panicked and pulled the knife. And as he pulled it, the son grabbed hold of it and sliced the fingers and then dad saw his son bleeding all over the place and faints on the spot. What a great dad. <laughs> So mum comes in, <laughs> super mum to the rescue. Which one do I deal with first, the fainted dad or the bleeding son? Leave dad to his own devices. Let's fix up the boy. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. See, the idea is this. Rather than snatching it away, you actually give them something that they can play with and say, look at what I've got. Look at this toy. Hello, this is a nice toy. <laughs> See, I'm just hanging out for grandkids, folks. How many of you can see that, huh? Huh? How many of you can see? I, I, I've even learned to speak ducky language for, for, my, for my grandkids. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> What's really funny is that I'm in a lift every now and then, and I'll, I'll speak ducky language, and everybody's looking around saying, what's going on? And, and my wife's killing herself because she knows exactly where it's coming from. Anyway, pay attention. You've just gone off sidetrack there. On, so so, so what, what happens is that a good father will offer a replacement that's much better than the damaging toy and, re, and replaces it with something much better. See, that's the way a heavenly father treats us. He says, take this. This is much better. Give me that. This will only damage you. And we have to be not rebellious children, but submissive children that says, Father, you know best. And if you're wanting to take that away from me, that's okay. I'm not going to throw a a temper tantrum. I'm not going to be one of those rebellious kids. I'm going to be, Father, you know best. You getting that? You getting it? See, I want to say to you that, that if you're one of those rebellious kids... You'll always live on the side of blessing, only getting the crumbs rather than getting the fullness of blessing because the fullness of blessing comes from 100% obedience, trusting and obeying. Okay, so let's move from the man at the gate and what the life was at the gate to the encounter at the gate. I love this, the encounter. So, so this man is a prime candidate for a miracle. Why is he a prime candidate for a miracle? Well, let, let me tell you what you need to do to be a prime candidate for a, for a miracle. You need to realize that you need a miracle. If you realize you need a miracle, you're a prime candidate for a miracle. The people that are not prime candidates for miracles are the people that are not needy. There's nothing wrong with being needy. There's nothing wrong with saying, I, I, I need help. And this man here was not ashamed of saying, I need help. Will someone, will someone take me to the gate? Will someone drop me off? Hey, folks, I need help. Will someone give me some help? He was not ashamed of saying, I need help. But we've got too many people in this world today that are ashamed of putting up their hand and saying, I need help. And can I say to you that humility is one of 
the greatest attractions to God that you can ever demonstrate. God is always attracted to humility. Why is that? Because it's in his nature to give. But he can only give to those that are humble enough to ask. I want to say to you that one of the greatest distractions to a miracle is pride. Pride is the biggest blockage to a miracle. And our problem in Australia today, I'm warming up, so I'm taking my jacket off, sweetheart. Can you just stop holding my jacket? I really believe that one of the greatest problems in Australia for us seeing an outpouring of miracles is simply the spirit of pride. When, when, when people are too proud to ask for help or just can't bring themselves to a place where they say, I'm a needy person, I need help. Will someone help me? Will someone help me? I'll never forget the day when, how many of you are old enough to remember Bobby Lim? Bobby Lim. There we go, this is for the old people. So what's sad is that I can remember Bobby Lim. What was, what was the, the, the television program that he and Dawn used to lead? What was it called? What was it? Sound of Music? Something like that? Anyway, let's, let's not go there. But, but he was, 20 years ago, he was known right across Australia. He's now passed away. But he was actually, get hold of this, he was actually asked to speak at a full gospel businessman's meeting to Christians. He was asked to speak to them about, you know, just his life. And he's the speaker, okay, in the middle in the middle of his speaking, he stops and he says, do you know what? I need Jesus. Is there anyone here that can help me find Jesus? And there were 300 businessmen that just got out of their seats, surrounded him and led, him to Je- led the speaker to Jesus. The first time I've ever heard a speaker at a Christian event actually got saved by making an appeal that he responded to. It was like... <laughs> How does that one work, you know? But he came to, when we were pastoring in Campbelltown, Bobby Lim came to our church and told us that story. So it's in the public domain. And, uh, and, and the thing that happened to him is that he got his miracle because he was humble enough to say, can someone help me? Can someone help me? Can somebody help me? I want to say to you, that's the first step to a miracle is humility. It's just saying, can somebody help me? Somebody help me. And here we go. And this is where I love the people of God. He's Peter and John, two men anointed of the Holy Spirit, two men of God. And they come up to this guy at the gate, beautiful. And I don't know what the story is because I I honestly believe that it was the custom of this guy to be put there. I don't think it was his first time there. And, and And I can imagine Peter and John having walked past him many, many times. But something happened on this particular day where they didn't walk past him. And you know what? I I, I think I'm guilty as well of walking past needs on a daily basis. But, but, you know, I I don't want to give them a hard time, Peter and John, because when they were confronted with the Holy Spirit, they stopped and, and started ministering to the need. But can I just say to you Christians, walk slowly through life, being aware of what's going on around you. Don't be so unaware of people that you're so busy and focused on where you need to go and what you need to do that you absolutely ignore those sitting on the side of the gate in your hurry to get into the presence of God. Because 
there's nothing more beautiful in your journey to the presence of God where you become aware of the needs around you and open to ministering to them. There's just something beautiful. So, so, so all of a sudden, they see this guy. They see this guy. And, and, uh, and so they hear him asking for, 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 for arms, for charity. And this is what Peter and John say to him. Look at us. Look at us. I want to speak to every single Christian in this building today. If you're not one of those that are sitting on the edge of blessing, but you're one of those that are sitting in the middle of blessing, you've got something on the inside of you. And you can say to people, look at me. And when they see you, what they need to see is Jesus in you. Because those that are sitting in the midst of blessing have something happening on the inside of them that's transforming them and making them more and more like Jesus. And so when, when Peter and John said, look at us, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to get them to admire their clothes or admire their hairstyle or admire something. What he was trying to do is, is, is you're looking down. You're looking at your need. You're looking at your little plate filled with little coins because that's the, that's the, that, that's the, the body language of beggars. They look down. They're, they're, they're looking at their need. There's something inside of them that's afraid to look people in the eye. And, and so Peter and John says, come on, look up at us and see and see something. And what, what was he wanting them to see? See the compassion. See the mercy. See the acceptance. Why? Because maybe others had walked past ignoring him. But he was two people saying, look at the compassion in our eyes. Look at the mercy. Look at the grace. Look at the acceptance. We're not thrusting you away. But our arms are open and extended towards you. Friends, when people look at us, what do they see? That's the big question for every Christian that feels that they're in the center of God's blessing rather than sitting on the side. Truly, does the presence of God transform us and make us Christ-like? Because that's what it ought to do. Look at us. And then they said to him, what I do have. So not only... Look at us. But then there was a realization. This is step number two. That the people of God saw that they had something. No, no, no. Maybe not the money. Maybe not the finances. But they had something else. They had the presence of God in their lives. That which I have. That which I have. You know, I I wish to God that every single Christian in this building and every single Christian watching this by television could grab hold of this truth. That it's not just the ministers and pastors that have got something. It's every single born-again Christian that's living in the presence of God. You've got something. That which I have. When was the last time that you looked at yourself and said, what do I have of God's anointing in my life? And began, rather than devalue what you had, value what you had. Because the Bible says in Mark 16, these signs shall follow those who believe. Not these signs will follow the pastors. Not these signs will follow the apostles. Not these signs will follow those that have graduated with with distinction from, from university. It says these signs will follow believers. How many believers have we got here? Give me a wave if you're a believer. If you're a believer, one of the signs the Bible says is that you shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
There's something on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, one of your biggest battles is, is the battle of do you value what's on the inside of you or do you devalue what's on the inside of you? I want to say to you today that you are filled with power by the Spirit of the God. Let the weak say, I am strong. And stop saying I'm insignificant. Stop saying I'm not able. Stop saying I am weak. Start saying I'm filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord. Start saying I'm anointed by the Holy Ghost. I'm anointed with power. I'm filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you say it this morning, Church of the Living God? Can you say it? Because that's what God wants you to say. He's Peter and John. That, that I have. Then he moves on to the next phrase. What I have, I want to give you. Oh, I love this. I love this. Oh, I know what I've got, but I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to give it to someone else. Oh, I want to say to you, that's the sign of a disciple. The sign of a disciple is when you start realizing that which I have, I want to give to someone else. I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to start helping others. Oh, God has given me so much. And it's not just for me, 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 me. It's for others, others, others. And I really believe that that is the greatest sign of a disciple. For me, the sign of a disciple is not how much you know, but how much you give. Because there are so many people that want to know, 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 know. And it's like, feed me, pastor, feed me. I want more information. I want more knowledge. I want to know more, 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 more. And, 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 And the spirit that Christ wants us is, to whom much is given, much is required. Hello? And so the more that's given to you, the more that's required of you. And so your evidence of being a disciple is not how much you know, it's how much you give. And I don't mind at all how much you know, as long as it's proportional to how much you give. Matter of fact, I want you to know more. For what purpose? So that you can give more. So that you can be available to minister more. And why would you even interpret that phrase with the thought of money? To me, that's the last thing on my mind is money. I'm more interested in you giving love, in you giving compassion, in you giving mercy, in you reaching out a hand of friendship. I'm telling you, so often we can give money and stop giving the compassion and the mercy. I'd rather pay someone to do that. Well, what's all that about? So you don't have enough compassion and mercy to give. You've got to pay someone to do it on your behalf. That's why I love what we do with sure care. Why is that? Because what we have in short care are people that are millionaires saying, you know what? It's not about money for me. It's about opening up my heart to give and making my time available to give. So how about that? What? Millionaires doing some gardening, doing some helping, doing some furniture removalists. What? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How awesome is that? But I can pay someone to do that. But it's not the same as you doing it, because in your doing it, people can see in your life the compassion and mercy of Jesus. How many of you are getting this? So that which I have, I give to you. Our calling is to help others. And then this is the key to ministering life to people. Are you ready for this? This is point number four. Point number four, the keys to ministering life to people. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Here it is. 
in the name of that which I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And immediately, Peter and John grab this guy by the arm and lift him up. Here it is, part one, part two. Part one is pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody say the name of Jesus. See, when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're actually invoking the presence of Jesus. You've got to understand that when you pray the name of Jesus, you invoke the presence of Jesus. So you're calling the presence of Jesus right there. And so in the name of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, something begins to happen. See, that's prayer. It's a wonderful thing to pray in the name of Jesus, but that's part one. What's part two? Part two is where by faith you begin to lift people up. By faith, you begin to reach out to them and say, now that I've prayed, something's happened. You're not going to stay where you are. You need to start moving. You need to start doing something. God's touched you, but don't stay there. You'll never know that God's touched you if you stay there. Come on, let's get up. Let's walk. Let's do something. Let's, let's, let's move forward. Lift them up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Part A, part B. Until I discovered that, I don't know how many people I'd prayed for and thought, well, nothing happened because I hadn't moved to part B, which is to lift them up, to lift them up. And so many people are trying to lift people up without praying for them. You need part one in order to get to part two. And you need part two and part one together. So you pray and you lift. You pray and you lift. You pray and you lift. That's faith, folks. It's two things combined. And when that happened, all of a sudden, all heaven broke loose. I love this. All heaven broke loose. Because what we see now is this man is no longer lame, but this man now has been touched by the power of God. And healing has come into his legs. Strength has come into his legs. And what's the first thing that he does? Once his healing has come, he moves from the gate into the house. I love that. He moves immediately. He says, I'm not staying in the gate anymore. I'm going into the house. I'm not staying on the edge. I'm going into the center. I'm not content anymore with living on the crumbs. I want to go right where the banqueting table is and feast with those that know where the banqueting table is. And he enters the house of God, not as a lame man, but as a dancing man, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. We've got someone whose life was totally changed. What did he get? See, he didn't just get a new body. He got a new spirit and a new attitude. I want to say to you, if he only got a new body and that was it, he would have gone home. He would have said, "Woo, thanks very much. I'm going home. But no, his attitude is, I'm not going that direction. I'm going this direction. Now that I'm healed, I'm going into the presence of God and I'm going to praise him and worship him. Oh, I want to say to you that in one move, he went from being attracted to being a God lover. A God lover. I love the God lovers. He went from being a gate sitter to being a house dweller. Come on, Steve, come on up. He went from asking, can you give me something, to telling, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Hey, guys, remember me. 
I was the one asking. Now I'm the one telling you there's a God in heaven who heals. There's a God in heaven who saves. There's a God in heaven who's able to transform beggars and turn them around. Let me tell you of the power of God. Let me tell you of the goodness of God. You couldn't keep this man silent. He went from asking to telling. He went from being stuck in one place to being able to find his own destiny. What a horrible thing it is to be stuck by the gate, as beautiful it is, to being released, to finding your own destiny. Oh, I'm able to move and find and walk in Him. He went from begging for survival to praising God for His goodness. He went from, I love this, He went from looking down to looking up, worshiping God. Oh, God, there is no one like you. There is no one like you. He went from seeing his future as hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. What's my future like? Will I get to sit here for the rest of my life begging? What's tomorrow going to be? Another sit at the gate beautiful begging. Another day just designed for survival. If only I can just get through another day. If only I can just get through another week. If only I can just get through another year. Survival mode. He went from being filled with hope, walking, leaping, praising God. Hey, people, God has done a miracle in my life. I'm not going back to begging. Oh, i got a future now. Begging, man, that's finished with me. Now I can walk. I can do things. I can tell people things. I've got a hope. I've got a future. I've got a destiny. God's on my side. He's given me a miracle. Am I the only one excited about this? Because I tell you, I'm right in there with this guy. I'm right in there with him. As I was preparing this, I was in there dancing with him saying, what a great thing God has done in your life. Let me finish this morning by saying this. God's inviting people that are camped at the gate to come into the house. He's inviting people saying, are you living at the gate? Are you living there where you're only getting the crumbs? Because there's a place where there's an abundance and it's in the house, the house of salvation. And all you've got to do is cross this threshold. See, there's a threshold that you've got to cross over. And what's the threshold? The threshold is the threshold where you say, Jesus, I need you. I'm in desperate need for you. And Jesus, as soon as he sees that, he says, I see that and I'll come and save you and take you over the threshold. How many of you have done that? How many of you have already done that? You've crossed the threshold. What a wonderful joy it is. But if you haven't done that, I want to invite you to do it. You say, how do you do that? By simply saying, God, I need you. He's attracted to need. He said, but what else do I have to do? Just say, God, I need you. He's done it all. He died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood on the cross to wash away every single one of your sins. It's not about you doing a lot. He's done the lot for you. It's about you putting your hand up and saying, I've got a need. And believing that Jesus paid the price to take away every single one of your sins, to forgive you and to give you eternal life. If you believe that, and you're willing to follow Him, then today is the day of salvation. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 